Welcome to the On Strategy podcast. This is Fergus. Glad to have you here. Um, we are all about bringing strategists on the show, strategists who can talk us through the creative strategies that they developed that led to successful marketing campaigns. So we're always on the lookout for great work that's built on a great strategy. So if you know of something, do let us know. You can email me at fergus at onstrategypodcast.com. Fergus is spelled F-E-R-G-U-S. That's F-E-R-G-U-S. Or you can follow us on Twitter. It's at on underscore Fergus. At on underscore Fergus. And of course, please do uh, subscribe to the podcast and give it a good rating. Uh, that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. So today we talk to uh, Tiffany Grafe. And Tiffany Grafe was the uh, planner on the loves business when she was working at Saatchi and Saatchi. Now, this is a campaign with a long history. And uh, since we uh, did a recording a couple of weeks back with the creative director on this business, uh, Mason Hedgecoth, we've learned that the the original strategy and the original insight was formed at, um, at Leo Burnett in the 1990s. And uh, Tiffany brought this to our attention in this interview. And I think um, what I always loved about this was how sharp and how uh, timeless this particular insight is. And the idea, or at least maybe not the, well, the insight was powerful, but I mean, just the way of thinking about this business, about um, loves being the uh, official diaper of experienced moms. Uh, I just loved that idea. And I think they've executed it beautifully. So we're going to hear a couple of spots um, uh, from the work, and um, and then we're going to hear from Tiffany Grafe, who's going to tell us about uh, the journey that she uh, took while working on the loves business. Enjoy. So you have 10 years experience. I do. But no PhD. I do have a master's in early childhood development. You don't mind if I just record this, do you? Uh, No. First kid? Here's all the numbers, food's in the fridge. Oh, and Lucas likes to pull on jewelry, so you might want to lose the nose ring. By their second kid, parents are more likely to choose Loves. It absorbs 20 times its weight. And the new triple leak guards lock away wetness for outstanding leakage protection. Live, learn, and get Loves. Make sure the temperature's okay. It's a little bright, though, so I'm just going to dim the lights. That should be good, right there. Make it a little dark. Are you ready water, for this? She doesn't like it. You've got to get in there. Like, okay, okay. Careful not to get it in her eyes. I know what a, I know what a bath is. Okay. Smile, honey. This thing is like... First kid. Ready. Here we go. Second kid. Coming in, mommy? Uh, I'm out of chance. By their second kid, every parent is an expert and more likely to choose loves than first-time parents. Live, learn, and get loves. May I help you with something? Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for the, uh, they go on the, you know. <laughs> for the breast pump. Huh? First kid. Come on, pal, come on. Oh, hey, can you grab me a couple boxes of breast shields? Second kid. By their second kid, every dad's an expert and more likely to choose loves than first-time dads. What do you have for cracked nipples? Uh, nipple cream. Hmm, does that work for hemorrhoids too? I don't think so. Have you tried? Live, learn, and get loves. We're talking about the, the Loves campaign, which has been going consistently for probably six or seven years, roughly. Yeah, a long time. Isn't it exciting? And, and yeah, I think it as, is. Yeah, we, I think as planners, we want those sorts of, like, and so do creatives. We want these 
great campaigns that have got legs that are built on solid foundations and, and um, become sort of our legacies in a way. Um, it must be exciting to have uh, this sort of brand as one of those examples for you. Yeah, I mean, I think what it says for it to run for this long and so unchanged, like it really is the same campaign that it was when Mason and I, you know, first started on it, um, is that it works, um, which is ultimately what we're trying to do. You know, you can get caught up in like people talking about things or winning awards and the excitement of all that, which of course is exciting, but the fact that it just runs in its same state for a long time for a company like P&G, which is making sure that it works. Um, I think that really says a lot. Yeah. I mean, for something to endure and, and it's important to remember, you know, how infrequent that is that, uh, that a campaign endures yeah, for more than one season. <laughs> it's true. And, and, you know, in part, I don't, I don't know whether that's in part due to uh, the industry's desire for freshness. And we try to sell that things need to be fresh every time. And, and, and just the nature of modern culture. But, uh, I I tend to think that there is great opportunity for brands like this because they kind of connect with a universal sensibility that yeah, they I mean, that they that they live on. I think it found its place. I think it found the brand the brand is the campaign that it wants to have. You know what I mean? Like it's it's perfect for it. Yeah. So let's start with um where this all began for you. You you were both at Sachi at the time and and tell us um tell us on a granular level how did this come to be initially we had had the loves account for a while um i'd actually worked on it previously um a few years before that um and we had cycled through a few different campaigns um you know to your first point things that lasted um things that didn't even make it to air you know we, we worked on several campaigns that um were really beautiful and we just couldn't get them to test well enough to put on the air um, and then um, another campaign, which was animated and I think did last a few years, but I think maybe everybody felt had kind of run its course. Um, and that's what put us in the position of um, coming up with a new campaign. But of course, there was a lot of kind of business things going on as well that led to that. Like what? Um, well, Loves, um, Loves is a very small brand, which is what makes it so much fun to work on, especially when you're working with a company like P&G that has these giant behemoth, like, you know, nine, I, I worked on Pampers prior to this. And at the time, Pampers was like a $9 billion brand. So I'm sure it's much bigger now. Loves is really a very small brand, which is something that makes it so much fun to work on because you actually, um, you know, you get to be able to change it. Um, you have the opportunity to change something. Um, and the category is really run by two giant brands. One is another brand from P&G, which is Pampers. Um, and the other is a brand from Kimberly Clark, which is Huggies. Um, and between those two brands, they really own the lion's share of the market. Um, and, and Loves had been a solid player. It was, I believe, on the verge of a billion dollars. It had been um, recognized within P&G as like a potential billion dollar brand, but it hadn't quite gotten there. Um, so it definitely was way behind those two who kind of ran the category and spent tons more. And then the other piece of the category puzzle was private label brands. We had pressure from the top, we had pressure from the bottom, and awareness for loves had dropped um, like 10 or 11 points. Um, in the last few years. So people weren't even really thinking about it. 
So the so the client comes in and or, or were you on a kind of a campaign cycle? Was there was there a red a red flag where the client was coming in? We've got to turn this around, or was it a more casual approach to it? I don't remember there being a huge red flag. Um, the other thing that was going on was the birth rate fell to a record low. So it was like, you know, we had kind of the difficulty from, you know, not being the big brands. We had the smaller brands kind of catching up with us. And then we had a market that we knew was not going to be buying as many diapers. So we knew we needed to kind of make more of a mark, grab more share in that situation. It was kind right. of like pressures on, I think. And we'd been running a campaign. Like I said, it was an animated campaign for several years before that. And I think it, had, my guess is it had just lost steam. So would you say that this was um, an ask from the client for, uh, for the brand to be perceived as a little bit more of a challenger brand or, or, was, or was the ask from the client um, different? Um. Hmm, that's a good question. I, I think we'd always thought of Loves as a challenger brand. So I don't think there was any any thought in our heads that we needed to make that more well-known in the market. I think it was more like we needed to do something that would get people's attention because of that awareness problem and because we knew we needed to grab more share. Like we needed to do something that would really make an impact and make people notice the small, the small brand in the market that was not going to be spending a lot of money. Sometimes there's a tendency to sort of uh, let convention blind us as planners because when you when a client is in a category where they're trying to steal some share points, there isn't really an appetite to do something that's completely different because there's a an anxiety of failing. Of course, and you, it's hard to justify to us to a, a CEO that it's worth the risk to this brand to do something that's completely different. And, and I think as strategists, we, we want to do something different. And obviously what you did here was different, but it didn't come across as being out of left field. It actually came across as being so core to the experience of moms. But I'm wondering in the early stage, when, when you talk about there was a desire to do something different, was it to do something different than the the animated character, or was there a desire to do something bigger and more and more adventurously different? Rarely, in my experience, have I had clients ask for something adventurous, um, and I think what they really wanted was really strong business results. They really wanted to make an impact, and I think. What we decided to do in order to try to achieve that was to really connect with who we were talking to. So, I mean, you can look at it as like, were we trying to be particularly adventurous? No, we were trying to be super responsible and really make sure that what we were saying was something that was different in the market and really resonated. And in that process, we found that one of the things that was really important to people was this kind of like unapologetic sense of doing what they wanted as moms. Um, and I think that in a way became something that looks adventurous in the spots, but it was certainly a very methodical um, and thoughtful process that got us to that. The first thing we did was really dig into existing client research. So kind of looking at their data of, you know, it must have been like attitude and usage 
studies um, that we were looking at. I mean, we looked at everything, but I think the little gem, we came up with one little gem. And um, so the, the little gem was that um, second time moms were, I believe it was, were less likely to switch from loves. So it was like one of those things where it was like, once they got to loves, they stuck with it. You know, like it's the last diaper you'll ever try sort of thing. Um, and we thought that was really interesting. We thought that was distinct and different from how first time moms were behaving. And we thought the idea that, you know, once you got to this one, you didn't, you didn't keep searching. You didn't try other ones seemed really, you know, interesting to us and something that we might be able to use. Was that, was that the same for Pampers and Huggies or was it uniquely a love's characteristic? Um, you know, well, we wouldn't know for Huggies. Um, I don't think, um, for Pampers, Pampers was not, you know, as focused on second time moms as loves had always been. And that was partly like a franchise strategy, right? So if Procter is managing both of the brands, they want to make sure that they have distinct and different kind of core equity plans in who they're speaking to and how they're speaking to them. So loves, loves was always, so it was, was, it was always for. It was always aware of that statistic, and, yes. and I mean, it always well, targeted that, but I not think, so distinct. I th- I think the statistic was new, but it had been targeting second time moms since at least the nineties. Once you guys had that sort of data point or that observation, where did where did you guys then take it? Was there any additional primary research conducted? We started thinking about where they'd been in the past and how they had appealed to second time moms. And I think one of the campaigns that had been very successful for them was in the late nineties. Um, and it I believe they used the line, um, you live and learn, and then you get loves. And they were commercials where a woman talked about how with your first kid, you tried to do everything perfectly. And then you had your second kid and things started to get real. This had been sitting there and we were all very aware of these commercials because they were part of our, you know, historical reel at the time. Um, And they felt pretty dated. They were done by a different agency. So it was before Saatchi had inherited it. And so there was, I'm sure, a little bit of this like, we don't want to do that same thing because that was somebody else's campaign. But at the same time, there was a nugget in it that we couldn't, we couldn't deny was really truthful, which was this idea that you hit a real turning point from your first kid to your second kid. Um, And I think that campaign really did resonate with moms when it was on the air. So I think there was a little bit of like dropping of the ego. Um, And I think we also were very aware of the culture at the time, which is that nobody talks to moms as moms. It's like, once you have a baby, you are talked about as if like you, you talk to the baby through the mom in a weird way. Like it's like the mom ceases to exist and everything about her life should just be about trying to make everything perfect for that baby. And it's, or or the woman disappears and she just becomes a mom. Yes. That's what, yeah. But better said than how I said it. I think this is what's really interesting for, for planners who are listening and are thinking of, well, I don't work in that space, but I work in a different category. But it's the idea that it, when you come up against this resistance of the conventions of a category, because the convention in this situation would be, God, well, we have to feature the joy of motherhood. Right. And we have to, the category features um, babies. The, uh, the category is, is sort of, is sort of um, ideal. 
And and I and I think that it's very it's very common to hear. Okay, we've got to find a way into that into that dynamic. But what was wonder is that you guys who took all that convention and were able to shift it completely away from that, although it was in the DNA of the brand. It was in the DNA of the brand. So I don't want to take total credit for that because that was something that the brand had really been trying to do for a long time. But I think what we wanted to do was really dive in deep with the mom. So we did do primary research and make sure that what the way we were doing it was really truthful. To that point, Mesa mentioned that you had brought them in, the creative team, into yeah. mom's homes. <laughs> yeah. So we had had this amazing... Um, had a planning um, at the time, um, maybe prior to this. I'm not sure if she was still there, but she brought this idea of what she called exploring to the agency, which was this sense that, um, you know, it always started with this quote, if you want to know how the lion hunts, go to the jungle, not the zoo. And the whole point of it was go out into the world and sit with the people that you're going to be speaking to, to understand them. What this did was just gave us permission to do something small scale, to always go out there and talk with people. And I had been at other agencies where I tried to do things like this. I was like, if you give me a really small budget, like I'm talking like less than a thousand dollars, I can go out and you know, come back with some really great insights for this brand to work with. And they're like, no, we won't. And I'm like, wow, like what a missed opportunity. But thankfully, Sachi at the time did, and I believe still does, completely embrace this concept. And it is just world changing for a planner because like I said, you've just had that moment of panic and then you're like, how am I going to solve this? And you're not being given necessarily the tools that you need in order to get in touch with the people who you know you need to get in touch with. So we had set up a couple, I believe a couple interviews, but the one that I really remember was we went to the Upper West Side. I brought the creatives with me and we went to go see this, um, this, woman named Sarah, who had three kids, and we knew her personally. Um, So we knew she was a perfect example of somebody who was not buying into, you know, the bullshit of this, like, perfect experience. And, oh, if you don't have exactly the right this, then the baby will, you know, suffer long-term and not get into a good college. Like, she just was not that type of person. So we were able to identify her as exactly the kind of person we wanted to appeal to. We went up to now, her how apartment. Did you, how did you know that she was the right person that you wanted to? Because again, to? we knew her personally, which is something that like. But what, well, know, how I did you know that her her personality was the type that you wanted to target? Oh, well, we knew that we wanted to speak to second time moms. So it was both sort of an, it was an attitudinal target audience. Uh, but yeah. uh, And it didn't, didn't really matter whether they were huggies or loves or pampers um, uh, customers. It was that they they had lived through the experience once, at least once. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I, that's a good way of saying it because while we started with the whole second time moms thing, the way we identified the target was actually experienced moms. Um, and we did allow, I mean, we did allow the idea of there are some first time moms that have this sensibility that are just not going to buy into all of the perfection and drama of that first kid. And they maybe were people who babysat a lot or like maybe had a lot of younger siblings. So we went up to Sarah's um, and we spent the morning with her and we sat there and we talked to her about like what changed from your first kid to your second kid. And we were, you know, the creatives were involved in the conversation. We were writing down her answers. Um, And, you know, I'm pretty sure we spoke to other people as well, but 
coming out of that, what we ended up with was this list of all of these scenarios where the way you deal with them as a first-time mom is entirely different from the way you deal with them as a second-time mom. And that list of scenarios just fueled this campaign. Once you had you'd gotten the, the creative crew exposed to some of these moms, did they go in different creative directions than where you ultimately ended up? <laughs> no. I mean, I can say that like I said, we had explored several different campaigns with this brand for years prior. And when we, uh, when we went through this process, I mean, it was, it was very linear. It was like, we had the client research. We looked at what had been done in the past. We went and spoke with real moms. Um, and the creative came back and it was like so simple. And so exactly what we had seen, like in the real mom's homes and that was it, really. I mean, there was not, I mean, in my mind, I mean, maybe uh, maybe the creatives would say, yeah, we tried seven different things before we even brought you anything. <laughs> but I don't think so. I think they felt very much like they knew where the campaign needed to go from having been immersed with the audience in that way. Now, tell us um, what you kind of learned as a planner on this campaign. That's a good question. Um, I think for me... One big thing is to let go of your ego in terms of you don't need to reinvent everything. Um, there is often something in the history of a brand that even though it might not look like what you think you're looking for on the surface, there might be something sitting underneath it that is some sort of kind of unpolished gem that you can take with you and turn into something that ends up being real brilliant. Um, and I think the other piece of it, you know, I don't know if this is learning cause I was already so deep into exploring at this point, but man, there is just nothing that compares to sitting in a room with a person that you're trying to speak to, um, and understanding them on a human level and listening to them and having a normal human conversation with them, not a discussion guide where you're trying to not show any emotion on your face and, you know, get clean answers from them, like just a human, normal conversation where they really open up to you um, and are able to tell you things that, you know, in, in a different circumstance, if it had been like in a focus group facility with people behind glass and other moms there to judge them, I don't know that we would have gotten such good stuff because some of these things were very taboo to say. What has come out of this has been a multi-year sustained campaign yeah. out of... Um... Yes. And, that's, and that's not just because it's sort of positioned as the official diaper of experienced moms. It's, it's because of the scenarios that make it so relatable. Yes. And the scenarios really came straight out of their mouths. And also, you know, I think some of the things that they can really laugh at that are the taboos, you know, and the yeah. things that I think we would, again, we would not have heard had we not been in kind of like a closed scenario where people felt like they could be totally themselves. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and how people can connect with you. Uh, well, I have started my own company called Not Robots, and um, I'm focused on really exactly the same sort of stuff that we did for Loves, which is getting to the truth of how people feel um, and making that available to brands that really want to connect with their audiences. So um, I do both research and brand strategy, um, and people can find me through LinkedIn. Awesome. And it is Tiffany Graef, G-R-A-E-F-F. -F. 
That's right. You were awesome. Thank you so much for Thank coming on so the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, this it was, was exciting. I, I do, I do love the work, and I love to hear the background of the story. And uh, we wish you luck, and we will see everybody on the next episode. Take care. Thanks so much. Bye.